let's talk about the real world for a moment, shall we? Where you're not some wonderful lone wolf hero, but you're part of a team and you play your position because that's what America is, Mr. Jeffries. It's one big team. Now, this might be difficult for you to grasp, but I am a patriot. And a patriot is one who makes the right moral choice. Sometimes it takes a strong man to make that choice. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the alternate current radio network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Thank you so much for rejoining us. This is episode 310 of this weekly Omnibus News and Analysis Radio program. Great discussion just before the break uh, with Dr. Mohammed Morandi from the University of Tehran. Obviously, that was a segment that was just cut short. Uh, he had to go to another engagement. Uh, if you've been watching the news lately, the global news, you'll see he's been on many of the major networks, even on CNN, uh, debating uh, Christian Amanpour uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, so he's very much in demand, and we were very fortunate to be able to get him for uh, a few minutes. Uh, very insightful, of course. We'll expand on some of the points uh, that Dr. Morandi made. Uh, but what we do know uh, what we do know for sure, uh, obviously before the break, we confirmed uh, Israel supplied the intelligence for the assassination of Soleimani to the White House. Uh, and that is, uh, of course, after uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu denied any involvement. Uh, that was, of course, now we know that was a lie. So there's Netanyahu, not the most credible statesman uh, going these days. He's obviously up for corruption charges this his trial well he's tried to postpone his trial by giving an authoritarian decree declaring himself to be all but innocent of corruption charges so he's basically ruled that he doesn't have to go on trial so uh, the banana republic of israel interesting so this was a uh, according to gareth porter who dr morandi mentioned who wrote a, a great book on the non-existent iran nuclear weapons program this was a Gulf of Tonkin incident. This was Trump's Gulf of Tonkin moment. There appears to be no intelligence of any imminent threat uh, to the United States. Uh, this was uh, following the embassy siege. This is after the embassy siege in Baghdad. The U.S. then uh, launched the double uh, assassination of the Iranian Iraqi military leaders and they, they claimed that there was an imminent threat to U.S. targets. Uh, members of, of the Senate, members of, of the House, Congress in the U.S. Have, have demanded, have asked for the White House to share any of this intelligence with them. They would like to see exactly what the uh, you know, premise of these, these uh, assassinations were by the Trump administration. And what the Trump national security team told members of the Senate and the House is that we're not going to show you anything and that you should stop debating or talking about this because you're emboldening the enemy. This is what Trump's national security team said to Republican senators, even Republican senators Lee and Rand Paul from Kentucky. Okay. Now, members of the House have passed a war powers resolution. It doesn't really have much teeth to it. It's more of a symbolic move. But we, we then find out 
from from Gareth Porter's great article, which we have a a piece of up at 21stCenturyWire.com, a Gulf of Tonkin incident. Uh, this looks like well, we know now that they used the same flimsy authorization of military force that was used in 2002 to invade and occupy Iraq. So they took something from George Bush off the shelf. They dusted it off. Uh, they, you know, put a few new signatures on it, and they used that. That was the uh, that was the legal justification for those two assassinations, and also for the attack on the Iraqi military bases days before. And all both of these are predicated on some intelligence that nobody is allowed to see, not even allowed to ask or talk about, according to the White House orders given by the White House. This is uh, hugely disturbing in terms of authoritarian trends uh, by this administration. Of course, this is what many people feared the Trump administration would become, but his supporters insisted that it wouldn't become, that uh, he wouldn't be as opaque and corrupt as the Obama administration or the Bush administration. But as it turns out, this is exactly what's happened. In fact, more opaque uh, and more evasive uh, even than possibly than the last two, maybe three administrations uh, in the White House. So what's going on here? Why is this happening? Why is the Trump administration acting in this way? What are they hiding? Well, one of the answers is that all the intelligence that they supposedly have, whether it's uh, real intelligence or not, well, we know that some of it already has come from Israel. So we, we, we assume it stands to reason that the rest of it comes from Israel as well, that this has Israeli fingerprints all over it. And it is no surprise to anybody that this administration from day one is having its Middle East policy and it's specifically its policy pertaining to Iran is directly, directly being influenced, in some cases directed by Tel Aviv. Okay, you have to also be reminded that the president's chief advisor, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is longtime close friends with Netanyahu. Okay, so there is a bit of a conflict of interest there, you could say. But now this is becoming more than a conflict of interest. This is becoming a possible threat to U.S. national security, but also to the security of the world at large, because this was really one or two shots away from expanding into a multinational, multi-front, uh, you could call it a world war. Uh, certainly the risk is extremely high. It still is high, but that's what we're looking at. We find out from Gareth Porter's great piece, which is published up at the American Conservative, his Gulf of Tonkin piece, that the, the, the groundwork for this was laid by John Bolton months, months before. In fact, it really the groundwork began to be laid in 2018. And there are all sorts of these mysterious uh, rocket launches uh, that supposedly targeted the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. But, but we now learn from Porter's great journalist uh, acumen here that they weren't near the embassy, but they were, the U.S. government seized upon them and used them to put uh, various provisions into place uh, that basically set the framework or the legal justification or the security uh, uh, imperative uh, that created the conditions to allow what we just saw unfold over the last two weeks. So it seems to me this was carefully orchestrated over a period of time, uh, starting with John Bolton 
and they created the conditions whereby this, this, so this assassination doesn't look like it was necessarily a response to anything that Iran did. This was looks like it was pre-planned, but it was enacted in a way to make it look like uh, it was a uh, you know a, a response or retaliation, or it was you know to to save the U.S. from imminent threats. Okay, so that this is why I think there's a cover-up uh, because we're looking at a, a major operation here that was pre-planned in advance, and so I having spoke to people that I know are familiar with these types of operations, let's say, uh, then there would have, they would have had to have had some level of coordination uh, from multiple parties uh, for days, if not weeks, trailing the target and monitoring the target uh, for, for a long time. And uh, so there's a lot of steps involved in this, and it would have required absolutely focused operations for a period of time. And there would have been walkthroughs and there would have been all sorts of you know, repetition involved with that to fine tune uh, when that moment to strike would happen. And then you go and you push the button, basically. That's how this normally works. So and there also seems to me uh, some involvement by the White House in luring uh, General Soleimani into the target zone. Uh, and it looks like this possible involvement. This is according to the Iraqi prime minister. Uh, who also uh, released this information uh, during one of his statements uh, that uh, Soleimani was there to deliver uh, to deliver a message to to the Iraqi government uh, regarding well to understand the position of Saudi Arabia and a potentially uh, some sort of detente between Iran and Saudi Arabia, and it seems to me even Donald Trump was involved in setting up this uh, luring Soleimani into this. Uh, I believe he congratulated those involved and said this was a great thing and they supported it. So it seems like, based on these reports, that this was a setup. And even Donald Trump himself is uh, directly involved in it. So whether Trump was knowledgeable that he was playing that role, whether he was just duped into it by the intelligence services, by the Pentagon, by the Israeli intelligence, uh, it's difficult to say exactly. Uh, so this is what, and also I just want to reiterate something as well. You'll see a lot of uh, statements by Mike Pompeo, the U.S. Secretary of State, by Mike Pence, and other people who are national security experts or connected with the administration. And they're banging on about bringing Iran back to the negotiation table. And as Mohammed Mirandi quite eloquently laid out uh, just a few minutes ago, uh, that's not going to happen. But, you know, it doesn't take uh, a great global affairs analyst uh, from Tehran is necessarily to come to that conclusion. This is actually basic common sense as well. But unfortunately, you don't hear that common sense from any of the leading commentators or panelists on any of the U.S. or Western networks, or much less anybody within the Trump's uh, uh, national security envelope. Okay, it's basic game theory. Even if you're an undergrad student and you're studying uh, international relations or game theory or game theory and probability, early just basic textbook case studies, uh, you you cannot get concessions from the other party if you're uh, also holding the threat of physical force over them. 
it, once you do that, then they'd say, well, there's no point in me giving you any concessions because you're going to attack me. What the U.S. has done here is shown that they're willing to use violence. And so that pretty much kills any chance whatsoever of the Iranians coming back to the table. That's basic game theory. It's been tried and tested and analyzed in almost every single major scenario to do with sanctions. And specifically, there's a whole body of literature on this, which I have studied some of it for my master's, my master's degree in international relations, which I got last year. So, I mean, I've, I've studied some of it, but I've also studied enough to know how much, how much there is out there in terms of uh, uh, grounded research on this subject. And it's, that, that used to be required reading for anybody who's involved in foreign policy. But it seems to me there's been a dumbing down of the foreign policy blob in Washington that a lot of people aren't even aware of some of these basic principles anymore. So they're running around making demands and shouting and waving their hands and making threats and so forth. And uh, they're really doing so from a place of very uh, an information poor, knowledge poor position. And I think that's what you see with people like Mike Pompeo. Uh, He's really out of his depth. And I think it comes through because whenever he's asked a question, he just repeats the same script all the time. It's almost as if he's not capable of any independent thought or independent critical thinking or analysis. He's literally just repeating the same points over again. They all seem to be doing this, including Lindsey Graham, that uh, Iran is uh, the number one state sponsor of terror. Pompeo says the same thing. Uh, When in fact that's not the case, that's not even remotely true. In fact, the opposite is true. The United States, just alone on its contributions to arming funding and providing uh, reconnaissance and logistical support for al-Qaeda affiliates in Syria over the last eight, nine years, just on that basis alone, they are one of the leading state sponsors of terrorism in the world. The United States of America is, the government, the Pentagon. Okay, billions of dollars have been blown on weapons for the various jihadist factions that have destroyed Uh, most of Syria since 2011. Then you put Saudi Arabia. uh, They're also involved in sponsoring terrorism directly in all those operations the U.S. are involved in. Saudi is paying for a lot of the uh, invoices for shipping the arms, okay? Uh, Then you have Qatar as well, another Gulf state, which is supposedly at odds with Saudi Arabia, but they're also backing the terrorists in Syria. Uh, But also you have the backing of al-Qaeda in Yemen, they're allied with Saudi Arabia to fight the Houthis, etc. I can give you so many examples of this. And then there's all sorts of other claims that are, are made. General Soleimani is, is, a, is a terrorist. Uh, it's the opposite. In fact, he was fighting terrorism. Almost all of the points repeated by Donald Trump, Mike Pompeo, Lindsey Graham, Mark Esper, and all the rest of them are the opposite of, of what is actually the case. And you have to ask yourself, are they just thick? Are they stupid? Or are they doing this on purpose? Is this a propaganda technique? I think it's both. I think they are thick themselves, but the people who are supplying them, the brains behind them, are saying, read that script, repeat that, and they know exactly what they're they're handing Pompeo. Pompeo himself probably doesn't know a lot, uh, but he feels like you know he has to perform certain duties. Uh, for his benefactors, for the people that, that really run the, the country. Uh, but the, none of these things are remotely true. 
This is why U.S. Uh, policy and decision-making is, is completely dysfunctional. This is why they're going to get the opposite of what they, they, they say they want. They're going to get basically the diametrically opposite results of what they, they think they're, they're wanting. So that, that, that's, where, that's where they're at right now. And we've said this over and over on this show. Plus, I've also reiterated this many times on RT International and other, other channels. All the things I'm telling you now, if you listen to this show regularly, you, you would have heard before, um, especially in terms of the uh, ineffectiveness of these types of sanctions with regards to getting concessions from the uh, opposing party. So this economic warfare does nothing but torture and punish co- countries. It, it has no function in terms of diplomacy at all. It's just purely punishment, intimidation, and trying to weaken a country to force an uprising, to force regime change. But uh, on, on social media, we have seen record amounts of bot accounts coming into threads, uh, basically putting disinformation in. One of the ones we saw the last two days was the Iranians massacred 1,500 people in protests in November. That's not true, actually, not even remotely true. But that's been copied and pasted throughout all the threads. There's various possibilities of who's doing this. There's Brigade 77. This is the UK's information warfare unit. Uh, Then you have various privatized companies that are also doing this. There's a number of Israeli firms that do social media influencing, as they call it, opinion making, as they call it. And these are large boiler rooms of uh, people managing multiple accounts. Some of this is automated. Some of it could be coming from the U.S. They also have information warfare operations, and they're flooding social media, specifically Twitter and Facebook, with, with all of these sort of ops. And it's, it's polluting and kind of ruining uh, the, the platforms and using these platforms as a tool for the military. And it just turns out Facebook and Instagram are removing posts that they, that they believe are glorifying or uh, remembering General Soleimani from Iran. Okay, So in, in the justification for this is the U.S. government is putting pressure on Facebook Instagram, its subsidiary, saying that countries that are under sanctions by the United States, including Iran, that any posts that are are seen to be helping them uh, or aiding them or aiding their cause, uh, that falls under sanctions of the U.S. government and the Silicon Valley companies must remove that content. I just said that. That's exactly what's happening. That should frighten everybody out there. That should frighten people to... To, to the worst degree, that now the U.S. government is ordering the Silicon Valley companies to censor, to basically restrict their First Amendment, because now your speech, your political speech, falls under the U.S. economic warfare and sanctions. Basically, the U.S. Treasury Department is governing Silicon Valley because sanctions are run out of the U.S. Treasury, out of OFAC, Okay. That's what's happening this week. This is what it's come to. All, these are all the things that we warned about, all of the things that we said. This, this is all going in a very dark direction by allowing Silicon Valley the, the ability and the, their right to censor political speech, uh, to censor uh, speech that's critical of the U.S. government. Now they're censoring speech that is supportive of any foreign countries that are against the United States that are on their so-called sanctions list. That's where we're at right now. And I see very little, if any, pushback 
against this from the mainstream media? Very little. From U.S. politicians, almost nothing. So you really have to ask, you know, what are these people doing? What's government become? So the media, if you're going to expect anything good coming from the media, keep, you know, holding your breath. I mean, here's, we'll go to break in a minute. Here's a clip from CNN. This is Arwa Damon. She's their senior international correspondent or something like this. Okay. So here she is. And listen closely. I mean, it might be me, but it seems like she's, she's just, it seems to be completely out of sorts. And she sort of pulls it in. And so she's walking around the, the U.S. base. This is a, a quote exclusive by CNN. But li- listen to this for a second. I might make one last comment before we go to break. But here's Arwa Damon from CNN, I believe, just, uh, just yesterday. Roll this. And the future of U.S. troops in Iraq is in question this morning after the Iraqi prime minister asked Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to start that process of withdrawal. The State Department dismissed the request, saying troops are crucial for the fight against ISIS. U.S. troops are stationed at the al-Assad air base that was hit with more than a dozen ballistic missiles, and the missiles hit areas of the base that were not occupied by troops. However, now CNN uh, senior international correspondent Arwa Damon was the first journalist to gain access to the base. She joins us now from there with more of her exclusive reporting. These used to be living quarters. This is where the troops would sleep, at least one of the areas. There is almost nothing left, nothing that was salvageable, we were told. The crater itself impacted uh, over here and it was one of 10 impacts that happened. Being here, it's truly extraordinary how anyone managed to survive, that there were no casualties. When you look at the destruction and then hearing all of the stories of the close calls of the heroics, what we are now learning is that there was advance warning to a certain degree. They knew something was going to happen. They just didn't know what. And about 11 p.m. at night, those that were able to go to the bunkers went to the bunkers. But there were still troops that were out manning posts that because of the security situation they had to stay at. So people were beginning to take shelter at around 11 p.m. and then at 1.34, that's when the first impact happened. A lot of those who we are talking to are saying that it was unlike anything they had ever imagined. Of course, on the one hand, the training does kick in, but at the end of the day, this is a terrifying experience, a terrifying situation. Wow. Okay. So it was terrifying for who, for who, for the U S uh, soldier station there. I mean, you're, you're, you're running a base in the middle East. Uh, apparently we're told there's ISIS around every corner. Uh, certainly they should be uh, expecting things to happen. That's why they're supposedly there. So according to CNN, U S soldiers were terrified by the Iranian missile strikes. This is uh, their senior international correspondent, Arwa Damon. And she said that uh, the the stories of heroics, uh, there was, you know, what? They were given advance notice through two different intermediaries. Iran contacted the Iraqi government and also through a Swiss intermediary. They're communicating uh, through the uh, consulate in Switzerland as well to the U.S. So they had advance notice, of course, and they have procedures in place to evacuate 
or to go into bunkers. I think probably more people left the base possibly than went into to, to bunkers. So, uh, so that's CNN's uh, reporting uh, there. So not very good, not very good. But this is one of the reasons why Americans in general are clueless about anything that goes on outside of their borders is because of so-called journalists like Arwa Damon, and there's a whole bevy of them at CNN, and people who are watching are none the wiser from watching MSNBC, CNN, God, Fox on this is just horrendous. But this is the problem. This is why we are such low-information voters in the United States because of the mainstream media do such a terrible job of this. And so they're not informed. And, uh, of course, Donald Trump watches Fox, so he's probably not very well informed either if he's watching Fox every night. Tucker Carlson's not bad, but in general it's, it's pretty horrific. So that's the problem that's facing the U.S., but it's not just the U.S.'s problem, it's the world's problem, because the this could have easily spiraled into a World War III situation, and then what happens at that point? Well, all bets are off at that point, and uh, so who do we blame? Well, you know who we blame. We, we just told you who we're blaming on this. So we're going to take a short break and connect our next guest from Press TV correspondent Robert Inlakesh. On the other side, this is the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back. Yo, this is Russell Jordan, a.k.a. the Prime Artist. You're listening to the Sunday Wire with Patrick Henningsen. Alternate current radio. Keep it current. Stay locked. 